find a couple verses, if that's okay. Uh, Psalm 9, verses 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. That's a little hard for a lot of people to get a hold of, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, uh, probably humility, helping others, and even as Christians sometimes you get stuff, doesn't it? It does, yeah, in, if, uh, if we're going to be honest. And remembering that Christ made it real clear, and that's a great start to what we'll be looking at, that the Lord made it very clear that if you want to be a leader, what do you have to be? A servant. A servant. Yeah. And that's, that's what leadership really is, servant leadership. Uh, not dictatorial, hands down, command and control, uh, but to uh, love folks, care for them. So we'll look at that. Well, let's get into uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, we've got, and again, I, I may jump out of order here. I may stay in order. Uh, some really exciting things are taking place around the world, some not so exciting. Uh, but we left off uh, last week. We wanted to spend just a minute on what's taking place with China, Taiwan, Russia, and the United States. So we'll, we'll pick up on that story tonight. Uh, we'll look at Russia and the United States, the talks that were taking place this week. Uh, we want to, very interesting, uh, I want to just spend a real quick moment on Israel's economy, what's happening and why. Then uh, kind of the story that really got my attention this week is what's happening uh, in Istanbul, major Muslim nation and their association with Hamas. So that'll probably be the one that we'll want to spend the most time on today and then look at the prophetic nexus, of course. Then if we have time, and I hope we do, uh, there's been some archaeological discoveries out of the Temple Mount Sifting Project. And uh, again, the big issue right now across uh, specifically the Muslim nations are is that there's never a, a Jewish presence in the Temple Mount area. And of course, as Bible-believing Christians, if you know your Old Testament, there had to be a, a Jewish presence there. And when you find things in the archaeological digs that back that up, it's just fascinating and exciting. So that's kind of where we're headed. It's exciting stuff. I, I think so. You excited? <laughs> I am. I'm ready. You're busting out of the scene. Yeah, right? I know. I'm uh, trying to control myself. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, if you uh, are watching on the internet tonight and would like to send in a comment or a question, uh, you can get us at 414-788-6010. And if by chance you have a question that we can't get to, or uh, if you want to text or call after 8 p.m. Central tonight, uh, I'll do my best to get to those tonight or tomorrow, and we will definitely answer everything that comes in. So again, thanks for being with us. Uh, Tell, by the way, those especially watching on the internet tonight, uh, tell other folks about it. Uh, they can go to uh, Facebook, Prophecy Focus, uh, see uh, things there on uh, our website. And I'm going to shoot back to that for just a minute. Uh, I'll go back to, there we go, down at the bottom of the screen, you'll see myugbc.com. And I think on our, uh, those watching on the internet, it's actually up at the top of the screen. So uh, everything we do is, is on video and live streamed on multiple different venues, so uh, feel free to look us up and see what we're up to. All right, uh, let's start out a little bit, uh, Josh, just talk a little bit about uh, these, and this is everything we look at has a prophetic nexus of some sort, so we'll look at that as we go through the night, and we'll bring out from the, uh, the scriptures how these things that we're looking at are, they're not fulfillment of prophecy, but what they are doing is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Take it away. Taiwan, China, and Russia, Ukraine. Putin recently published a lengthy and remarkable essay arguing that Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus belong together as a matter of history. Ukrainian or Belarusian sovereignty, he now claims, can be achieved only together with Russia under the ultimate authority of the Kremlin. Putin's strategic intent is clear. He regards Ukraine's independence as increasingly intolerable. Like China, with its designs on Taiwan, Russia has been preparing and equipping its military for the specific purpose of invading and conquering Ukraine before any outside force can disrupt the occupation. 
In addition to seizing Crimea, the Kremlin has already sent regular military forces into Ukraine, as it did in August of 2014 and again in February 2015 in the eastern Donbass region. Putin seems both ready and willing to launch another similar incursion, if not a much larger scale operation. All right, so let's just take a, a look at the map. And by the way, there's been significant updates on this issue. Uh, Russia's been dealing with talks uh, with the United States as of Monday. So several things are, are in play right now. I can give you the short synopsis of uh, the progress. Not much. There you go. But uh, here's what's taking place. So again, why do we care about Russia? Why do we care about them posturing? Why do we care about all these different nations? And we'll look as it ties into Taiwan in a few minutes. Looking at Russia, again, when you talk about the, the fall of the Iron Curtain, you know, back some years ago, you kind of figured that Russia was kind of a non-player for a bit. Well, what's been happening, and especially uh, uh, in the last 10 years or so, Russia, again, is really in 15 plus years really russia is really beginning to uh, gain much much power again why do we care about russia well it's always because there's a prophetic nexus so everything we're looking at with the nations that we'll talk about tonight it, it all boils right back down to ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, the prophetic passages talking about the nations that will rise up against israel so every time these nations get in the news and we see them big, uh, increasing in power and authority, if you will, across the world, this gets our attention if, if we're watching the scriptures. So uh, again, if you just for sake of understanding what we've been talking about, this first segment, we're looking at Russia. Uh, as we all are, I, I think most everyone here is very aware that uh, uh, the Russians have set up about 100,000 soldiers on the Ukrainian border. That's gotten a lot of press, a lot of attention uh, from the United States of America, obviously from uh, Ukraine itself. And we're watching this very strategic cat and mouse issue as to, let me see, how tough are you going to be? If, uh, and I'm going to put on a very simple, basic concept right now. Think back to when you were in school. I hope it was way back in school. <laughs> uh, by the way, we don't have children in here because they're all in Iwana, uh at Union Grove Baptist Church or teen groups and so forth. But uh, young people, think back when you might have been a, a teenager. Mm -hmm. Now, I got to admit, I wasn't the nicest guy when I was a teenager, and I wasn't saved at the time. And um, you kind of wanted to size up the opposition, if you will, right? It's right. like, yeah, you know, I, can I take this guy or not? Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what Russia is doing with the United States right now. They're sizing up the current administration, determining are they going to stand by Ukraine, are they going to stand by NATO, or are they going to push back? And quite frankly, I think Putin uh, uh, has been really testing America and determining Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll invade, maybe I won't, but we've got to see how much flexing of muscle the United States of America is going to do. All right, um, looking down at the next slide, again, when we're looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39, all the nations listed, or all the nations you see in, in our Kerman vernacular are all listed, except for maybe the UAE, on uh, United Arab Emirates in Ezekiel 38. So you look at all the different nations that are spoken about, most of them are spoken about in ancient terms, if you will, back from uh, when Ezekiel was written, which is about 500 B.C., 2,500 years ago. But it's just amazing that all these nations, specifically right now we're talking about Russia, making this strong stance, sitting on Ukraine's border, flexing its muscles. Folks, when we get to Ezekiel 38, which will happen after, shortly after the rapture of the church, when I believe in most uh, conservative scholars, if you will, today uh, that believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible, that these events will take place real short after the rapture. Why? Well, what's the, what's the, uh, and, and let's have a quick question and answer here, see how many, how many know this, and quite a few should. What is the singular event that starts the seven-year tribulation period? Anybody know? Just yell it out. Okay, right after the rapture, then what is the event that starts the tick-tock clock going on the seven-year trip? Say what? The signed treaty. 
There you go. There's a signed treaty or a confirmation of a treaty between Israel and, uh, of course, Israel, Daniel 9.27. So, why all of a sudden is there going to be this treaty? Why all of a sudden is there going to be this peace? Well, the prophetic scenario has to get set up so that Ezekiel 38 and 39 can actually take place. So, and, and that's a treaty between Israel and the Antichrist, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. And, of course, the Antichrist at that point will be a world dictator and uh, is going to have tremendous power. And we get that from multiple plant passages, but definitely from Daniel 9.27. All right, so I mentioned a, f uh, a few minutes earlier, many are, of you are familiar with this particular piece. When you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, when we're talking about Gog, we're looking at the leader. Magog is Russia. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's just, if you have an old, old, old ancient map, you'll see uh, Russia is literally listed as Magog. When you look at Meshach, Tubal-Gomer, and Tagarma, they're all referring to places in modern-day Turkey, Libya is Libya today, Persia back in the day was Afghanistan, Pakistan, and current Iran, but it was all under the big umbrella of Persia. Ethiopia back in uh, uh, the days of Ezekiel, 500 BC, included what we know now as Somalia, Sudan, and Ethiopia. All these nations are going to shortly, sometime after the rapture of the church, could be a week, could be months, could be uh, a year, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how long that little transition time is going to be from the rapture of the church until when uh, the Antichrist signs, if you will, that peace treaty. All right, let's move into a different outlet. Uh, um, Wall Street Journal, we were looking at, uh, what were we looking at? forget which. Uh, the ASPI, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, was the beginning piece uh, was uh, the, would you tell me to stop stuttering? <laughs> uh, the Wall Street Journal then uh, picks up on this story. This I got, I believe, from a couple days ago, which I did. Why don't you uh, walk us through a little bit more about this? United States to discuss scaling back military exercises and missile deployments in Europe uh, in Monday's Russia talks. And that's this Monday, two days ago. The Biden administration's efforts are an attempt to defuse tensions with Russia, which has deployed about 100,000 troops near Ukraine's border. But they fall far short of Moscow's demands that the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, call a halt to its eastward expansion and cease training exercises and military support to Ukraine and other parts of the former Soviet Union. A military buildup along the Ukrainian border is further straining ties between Russia and the U.S. after clashes over cybercrime, expulsions of diplomats, and a migrant crisis in Belarus. U.S. US officials on Saturday outlined three areas in which they hope to make progress with Russia. Weapons deployments in Ukraine, missile deployments in Europe, and military exercises on the continent. Russian officials have repeatedly complained that the U.S. might deploy missiles in Ukrainian territory that could strike targets in Russia, though President Biden told President Putin last month that the U.S. has no intention of doing so. All right, so let's, let's just park here a little bit and for a few seconds to kind of analyze what is stated there. So our administration is basically doing a kind of loose negotiation, if you will, with Russia at this point. Now, one of the key things that the administration before the current one made it very clear that you do not reveal your, if you will, strategic plan to your enemy. I was shocked back several years ago to learn that ISIS had been wiped out. I There was nothing in the news. There was nothing... Uh, that was put out there, and all of a sudden, I'm watching on the news about clips about ISIS had been taken down. Now, I don't know about you and how much you watch uh, those type of things, but why did the, not this current administration, why did the previous administration, did they give out war plans to their enemies? Any, any takers? The answer is no, absolutely not. That's why all of a sudden, uh, we have a major victory in the Middle East with ISIS, which was killing Christians by uh, the thousands. They were taking over countries and causing havoc, and all of a sudden there's this great victory. Well, again, 
what is happening. This is all Middle East things. Now we look at what just happened not that long ago in Afghanistan, and everything was, was out there, everything was known, and all of a sudden we have this breakdown of American power. So again, I'm not picking on the current administration. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, when you look at what's taking place now, of course Ukraine is testing the waters. If America broke down and, and didn't do what they said they were going to do and get the folks out of Afghanistan and so forth, the, uh, all of a sudden the muscles kind of go inverted and, and, mm -hmm. and there's no punch there anymore. So these are huge issues that uh, we're seeing take place. So again, uh, right or wrong, this particular thing shows that our current administration is basically telling Russia what they should do. Well, I, we're going to find out what Russia says they're going to do, and it's a little bit more punchy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Russia has cited U.S. and NATO military exercises across Europe as a red line for Russia particularly in Ukraine, which Mr. Putin has said pose a threat on his nation's doorstep. U.S. officials say that Russia has carried out even larger and more provocative exercises near NATO territory. Moscow says it has a right to move troops around within its own borders. All right. So, so just think about this now from a strategic standpoint. Okay, we're going a little out of the biblical realm right now. But do you, if you were president or... I'm not sure they call him President Putin. Putin? Yeah, All President. Right. Uh, if you were Putin and you're making this statement and you lived in Russia, what would you think about that statement, good or ugly? Good. It's good. Yeah. It's like, man, he's sticking up for his people. He's sticking up for his country. Mm -hmm. He's not standing down. You crossed a red line with our country, America, Ukraine, whoever. Very interesting. Now, if I was a advisor to the administration, I might suggest that our current administration might consider doing the same thing. Just a thought. No, it's definitely a flex. Yeah. That he's doing. Yeah. All right, let's move on. While U.S. officials stress the need for coordination with allies, this has presented challenges where sanctions are concerned, according to several U.S. officials. The Biden administration has vowed to impose crippling, punitive measures on Moscow if it continues its aggression along Ukraine's border, but any sanctions targeting Russia's financial system or energy sector would reverberate across Europe. All right, so let's take out my political rhetoric right now. What, what is the... What is the biblical scenario that we're looking at here and why is it important well first of all in from a biblical scenario is america going to stop russia from invading israel no absolutely not so what we're seeing is and again we we're concerned about things that are happening today we're concerned about is america in a good strategic place well folks None of these prophetic scenarios are going to be fulfilled while the Christian community is still sitting down here. The rapture has to happen first. Daniel 9, 26 through 27, make that very clear, as well as Colossians 1, 24 to 29, Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. That talks about the church age that is basically inserted between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. So it's very clear. So from a, it's very hard for us sometimes as Christians because what do we want to do? It's like, what are we doing? Why don't we rise up and, and, and get the job done? Mm -hmm. And uh, I go back to, and I haven't said this in a couple of weeks, but I want to go back there again. I asked, let's, let's think back to 2020 when the elections took place. Majority in the Christian community were quite frankly, not happy. Some might have been, but the majority of conservative mm -hmm. Christians are conservative. Uh, uh, Christians are not, were very upset with what took place. Well, from a Christian standpoint, many Christians were questioning, why would God allow this to happen? Well, folks, what's the name of this little uh, program that we do? It's called what? Prophecy Focus Global Update. You say, why is the word global in there? Because everything that biblically is going to take place, specifically from Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 13, and I know I see a few new people here tonight. Revelation 13 makes it extremely clear that in the prophetic future there will be how many world governments? One. 
one government, one world government, uh, what, how many different economies will there be across the world? One. one. One world economy. And there will be one world religion. It's called, you either love the Antichrist or you're going to be martyred. Anybody refusing to take the mark of the beast? Uh, which, of course, uh, we're seeing prototypes, I think, with, uh, we talked about this last week, the chips in the hands, the chips that uh, potentially will be in the forehead. If indeed that is the exact thing that God's referring to in the last verse, Revelation 13, the stage is being set. I mean, we're there. It's happening in our lifetime. Things are being set up for these things to be implemented. So when we look at the global picture, it's got to be global. And I said, listen, folks, and I, I did this shortly after the, the uh, 2020 elections. I'm like, folks, I said, you know why potentially, and this speculation agree on that, do you know why potentially why President Trump was taken out of office? Because he was messing up God's prophetic calendar. He said, well, how's that? Because President Trump is a nationalist. Now, I love being a nationalist. You know, I live in America. I'm, I'm, you know, make America great. I I wouldn't wear the cap out in public because I wanted to keep my head (laughs) at where it belonged. But um, the bottom line is we're Americans. We are concerned about America. Of course, we're concerned about all other countries from a missionary standpoint. But we live here. We want to live in a country that that we're proud of, that that we're just excited about being here. When... That, though, if indeed, let's assume the rapture is going to happen in our lifetime, which it absolutely could. It could happen today. There's nothing stopping Jesus from coming back today. Here's the question. How many signs have to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back? None. Zero. You want to know where people are getting their alleged signs from? They go to Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, and try and make the Olivet Discourse, which is about the second coming of Christ, and they try to make that the rapture. It's not the rapture. We don't need one single of those signs to take place, neither do I count on any of those signs happening until we're out of here. Then the seven-year tribulation, Matthew 24, will kick in. And yes, there'll be 28 major judgments that will take place, Revelation 4 through Revelation 19.10. All those things mentioned in Matthew 24, that's when those signs will take place. There's some very, and folks, here's a warning. I'm not going to name names, but I am going to name the, the heresy that's out there right now. There are some very, very good men and ladies, by the way, that are on the radio and on the TV, and from a, a, a Christian standpoint, they love the Lord, they're saved folks, but it's a heresy when they're trying to say that the signs of Matthew 24 uh, are taking place today. That's poor exegesis, it's unscholarly, it's unbiblical, and, and it's a very unfortunate. So the signs that are talked about, there's no signs that have to be in place for the rapture. We're waiting for the imminent return. The Apostle Paul was looking for it. Well, it's 2,000 years later. He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. And it very well could be very, very soon. All right, well, let's go to, um, because we're already a half hour into this, I'm going to skip the, the next one, which is just more on the same subject. And let's take a minute and talk about Israel's economy Folks, where, where is uh, the apple of God's eye located? Jerusalem. Where? Israel. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, anybody got a verse to back that up? That uh, the central place in the Bible, that God's central place in the Bible is Israel. Anybody got a verse? <laughs> I keep trying. They're going to get it one of these days. Yep. You know what? I don't. Oh, I'm good, buddy. All right, write it down, put it in the front of your Bible. Here it is, Ezekiel, and it's so simple. Single, single, five, five. Ezekiel chapter five, verse five. In fact, Josh, why don't you get it and read it? And uh, I want to encourage everybody to get that. Get out your Bible, and if you got, uh, I'll get you a a pen you can write on your uh, iPhones and your iPads, and you can mark, make a little mark by it, okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Ezekiel 5, 5. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. All right. 
God looks at Israel, Jerusalem. That is the center of God's universe. If you want to know what's happening prophetically, if you want to know what's happening with, with where the Lord is at with the scriptures, all you got to do is go to Israel and check it out. That's why I'm thrilled, and I, I talk about this a lot. I've been to Israel about 10 times. as a tour guide in Israel. It's just amazing what you'll see there and, and things that match right up with Scripture. But let's just take a, a, a quick second here. And, and, Josh, I really like this headline from the Jewish press, which obviously is not a Christian organization. But do you, do you guys see a word in there that kind of strikes uh, something with Revelation? Any word? Apocalyptic. I love when the liberal media, I love when those that don't know Christ use that word out of context because it brings attention to what's really going to be taking place. Take it away. From uh, Lieberman, Israel's economy will still function even under apocalyptic conditions. Finance Minister Evigdor Lieberman told reporters Sunday night that despite government estimates uh, of half a million Israelis being forced into quarantine at the same time, he is not bothered by the crippling effect that such a scenario could have on the economy. Quote, even assuming that this is the most far-reaching scenario, it's 5% of the Israeli population, which means that 90% will continue to work. Lieberman said, the economy will continue to function even in the most apocalyptic scenario. Uh, Lieberman said he did not rule out the possibility of targeted business assistance due to the corona, but refused to commit to a broad compensation outline at this time to deal with increasing reports of businesses that have been damaged as a result of the alarming levels of morbidity. Uh, Lieberman announced that, quote, there will be targeted help for businesses, but he stressed that after 10 days, you can't say that the economy is collapsing. My role is to watch the public coffers, he said. We're only nine days into the year 22. It's too early to panic. There is probably a decline in this or that business, but from personal experience, I see there are no tables to be had in restaurants. Everything is full to capacity. According to the Restaurants Association, the past week has seen a 10% to 40% decline in restaurant and bar activity. In restaurants that depend on tourist traffic, such as Jerusalem, Jaffa, and Aco have seen a decrease of 50% in the turnover because there are no tourists. And business owners are dealing not only with the decline in customer turnover, but also with the severe shortage of workers who are in isolation. The Association of Commercial and Fashion Chains in Israel argued that today we are in a state of de facto lockdown without actually being in a lockdown. As a result, while during the previous lockdowns, business owners did not pay rent, today they do. There were no management fees, and today there are. No property tax or electric bills, and today there are. The finance minister was not moved. We finished the year 21 in a much better position than even before the corona, Lieberman said on Sunday. As for the Omicron, as I have said before, I suggest not to underestimate it and not to react hysterically. Everything should be treated responsibly, seriously, soberly, but not with panic. All right, so what do we have here? Oh, what country were we talking about here, by the way? Oh, Israel. Does it sound like any other country that uh, maybe you're familiar with? For sure. I, I mean, all right, so what, what are we looking at here? We're looking, obviously, at politicians, uh, uh, those that are trying to, and rightly so, not allow panic to go through their particular nation. Well, folks, uh, uh, 20% of all Israel's income, and, and some have thought it's much higher than that, but it's about 20%, maybe a slight bit less than that, is from tourism. Now, in uh, 2019, uh, it was just off the charts. I, I was in Israel a couple of times in 2019. I mean, you could not find a hotel anywhere if you didn't have booked two years in advance. Tour groups were just absolutely jammed. Uh, the economy was booming at that time, not just because of tourism. By the way, what are uh, just for fun, let's see what we get out of this. Uh, you'll have to yell it out loud, and then I'll repeat it for those watching. What are some of the big money makers in Israel? Where do they get where do they get their revenue from? Can you IT? IT, very, very big one. Uh, the information technology, chips and so forth, huge money maker for Israelis. What else? Tourism. Tourism, okay, that's twenty percent. Anything else? Manufacturing. 
Are they? Yeah, they? somewhat manufacturing. Now they they do high tech manufacturing. They've got some of the. Uh, when I was there last time, we were driving by one of the military uh, development buildings, and and like those of you that maybe are in the Air Force or are familiar with military things, I mean, you talk about these space age helmets that can just do incredible things, and I'm not wow. going to get into it, but. Uh, I mean, Israel is is developer a lot of that. By the way, any any reason why you may think that uh, Jewish uh, people have had actually a very strong edge in the technology world? Why do you think maybe that happens? Very apple of God's eyes. He's blessing Israel. He's uh, uh, who's the wisest man that ever lived? By the way, Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, God takes care of His people, and He's given them tremendous things. Well, let's take a look at that. In fact, let's go to Second Chronicles 7. We've been talking about this the last several weeks uh, here at Union Grove Baptist because we're centering in when, uh, uh, in the, the context of this, and several of you have heard this on Sunday, the context here is the temple had just been built, the first temple. And now God is warning them. Specifically, he's telling Solomon. By the way, who built the first temple? Solomon. Solomon. Okay? And he was the son of whom? David. David. King David. So King David had this great vision, if you will, this great desire to build the first temple for God. And did the Lord allow David to build that temple? No. No, because basically he had bloody hands and God said, I'm sorry, buddy, but uh, somebody from your loins will be building the first temple, which, of course, was his son Solomon. All right, so God is now telling Solomon, listen, there's going to come a day when Israel's going to mess up. Bad things are going to happen, and I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to give you the formula on how to get right with me. Now, folks, is Israel in a bit of trouble right now? Are they? Well, yeah, there they are. I mean, they've got an economic downturn right now, even though they don't want to admit to it. They're suffering a bit. Are they going through difficult times with corona like we are here in the United States right now? Yes. Absolutely. So we're seeing things happen. Now, we can look at it as, well, these are just natural disasters. These are just things that come along with, uh, well, folks, is there someone called a sovereign God that controls, if you will, the universe? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And uh, when things like this happen... And when we have, and we've had two individuals in our own congregation, our own church family, that passed away in the last few weeks. And it's like, I by no means am I suggesting that it was judgment of any time, but here's what it does do. And I'm suggesting it had nothing to do with judgment. These were good, righteous, wonderful people uh, that knew Christ. But when you see a tragedy happen, when you see something that's difficult take place, what's the first thing that we should be doing? Prayer. Prayer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, let's go and see what God said we should do. Go ahead and read the passage. Second Chronicles seven twelve to 14 Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. All right, so let's get prophetic for just a moment here. When do we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, when will God literally heal, if you will, the land and the people of Israel? When is that going to happen? Millennial kingdom. Okay. Got to talk louder. I'm deaf. But, uh, okay, the millennial kingdom. How do we know that? Well, we could go through passage after passage after passage, but Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 7, make it very clear that uh, the Lord Jesus will be setting up his millennial kingdom. Uh, what's the next major event on God's prophetic calendar? The rapture of the church. Then, uh, which happens in Revelation 4, verse 1, then you have seven years of unprecedented judgment upon this earth. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, all the way through Revelation 19, 10. What happens in Revelation 19, 11? Who comes back? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mounts up on his white horse with his saints. With his what? 
Saints. Saints. Are you a saint, by the way? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, you don't have to be uh, as some denominational places do. You don't have a sainthood conferred upon you. Every single person in the Bible goes over and over and over again. He talks about the saints uh, in, in specific areas that he addressed in, in the scriptures. So what happens? Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. That's when things will drastically change. However, and here we come back to the concept of revival. Can we have revival today? Yes. And I believe with all my heart that we can. As long as we're here as God's people, as long as the Holy Spirit fills and indwells believers, 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19, as long as we're not grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, but are walking with Him by whom we were sealed, I believe the Lord can use us. I believe that God can indeed bring revival. If my people, well, this is again, this was specific to the Jewish people, but can it be applicable to us today? I certainly think so, and I agree with you. If my people, if my Christians today, who are called by my name, will do what? They'll humble themselves, get off, get off our high horses, get off God's pedestal, humble ourselves, and do what we just did before we started our uh, program tonight, and pray, and do what? Seek God's face. Turn from their wicked ways. Oh, we love sin, don't we? We do. And there's so many things that can uh, pull us aside from God, and we get, uh, uh, if you will, backslid or carnal in our ways, and God says, oh, you've got to turn from your wicked ways. Change Amen. your ways. Amen. Then God says, I'll do what? I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Well, folks, we need some land healing right now. Yeah. Uh, Israel needs it. America needs it. In fact, the world needs it. All right, folks, we're coming to you again from Union Grove Baptist Church. Uh, questions, comments, 414-788-6010. All right, here's the story I've been waiting for. This is the one? This is it. All right. Uh, it, it's good. We're going to be looking at Hamas. Now, Hamas, if you, and again, we've talked about it a lot here, uh, not recently, but Hamas is a what kind of organization? Terrorist. Terrorist. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about Hamas being a terrorist organization. And we're going to look now. Hamas, the big thing that they were doing was lobbying uh, rockets into Israel from what, from what part of Israel? Huh? Yeah, the south side. <laughs> the south side being the Gaza Strip. All right, so uh, when you look at it, and I should put a map up, I didn't. So the south uh, west section of Israel, Hamas, uh, um, I'm starting again. That's not good. Cut it out. Okay, thanks. There, you told no, me to no, tell no, you no, that. I so. won't do it. Good. <laughs> All right, so in the southwestern section of Israel, the Israeli government gave that section to, if you will, the Palestinians' uh, uh, people. The major terrorist organization that's run out of that section is known as Hamas. So we've known basically in the Christian community when we've been looking at these issues we kind of uh, uh, put Hamas as associated with uh, that lower Gaza Strip in Israel. Just for fun, there's another H uh, uh, that starts a terrorist group that's in the northern part of right above Israel, if you will, basically located in Syria, in Lebanon. And what is that H terrorist group? Hezbollah. All right, so we've got two major terrorist groups, Hamas in the south, Hezbollah up in the north. We're going to now look at, and I do have maps on this, we'll show you in just a moment. We're going to look at what's taking place within Istanbul. And uh, we'll show you where that is if you're not familiar with it. I've flown in and out of there. Quite frankly, I don't like going into Istanbul because I actually feel like a serious foreigner there. And I am a serious foreigner there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's go through some of this. It's, it's quite lengthy, but we'll take pieces at a time here. So Hamas in Istanbul directed hundreds of terror attacks against Israelis while laundering millions of dollars. Oh, you mean there's money associated with this? Isn't there always? Follow the money. Yeah. So uh, Turkey is contributing to Hamas's military empowerment. All right, so just for fun, here's basically, this is the uh, flag in Istanbul, if you will. 
and the Israel flag. Uh, you're not going to see them flying together very often, but yeah. this is a kind of a unique picture. All right, uh, one more here just so you have an idea of what we're talking about. So you can see where Israel is on the map. Most people are familiar with that. You look up at Turkey. And by the way, for uh, this is a little review. Uh, one of the four countries named in Ezekiel, or the four places mentioned Ezekiel 38 that refer to Turkey. Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Tagarma. All right? So when we see those in Ezekiel 38 and other places, i.e. in Genesis, it talks about uh, these same places. Where did they at? Where are they at? They're in Turkey. All right, so now we're talking about Istanbul, and uh, we're going to see how this, these things are meshing together, and even from a prophetic scenario. Oh, but wait, there's more. Sorry, Josh. That's okay. All right, so if you go to Istanbul, one of the big, big tourist attractions there is the Blue Mosque. Valerie and I have gone into the Blue Mosque. Uh, it, it's just, it's a huge, beautiful it's one of the great, uh, uh, beautiful mosques, if you will, that, have, have, that are in the world. It's, it's huge. Uh, looking inside, if I can get my computer, here we go. All right, when you look inside, this is just a very small section. Uh, when you first come in, everybody takes their shoes off. The ladies, of course, have to have their head covering or they won't allow them in. And you say, well, where's all the chairs? Are they cleaning the carpet? Do you have chairs in a mosque? No, absolutely not. So what do they do uh, when they come in, when they have their services, when they have their prayer time? Uh, they don't have, and, and these pews aren't that comfortable, but I'll guarantee you they're more comfortable than being on your knees for an hour at a time and, uh, and praying with your head down, but that's what our, uh, our Muslim friends do. This is another overhead view of that same area, and it, does, I mean, it doesn't give it justice. This is a massive, massive building where thousands can enter in at one time. Across the street from the Blue Mosque is a place called the Hagia Sophia. It looks similar, and I'll go back and uh, show you real quick, so get, get that in your head right now, the Hagia Sophia, and then the Blue Mosque. Now, the Blue Mosque is much, much bigger, much, much more ornate, uh, and obviously the Blue Mosque, what the religion's going to be in there? The Muslims, right? Okay. Now, here's what's very interesting. So when Valerie and I were in Istanbul, we also got to go inside of the Hagia Sophia. Now, does the Hagia Sophia, by name, does that sound Muslim to you? Absolutely not. Here's what's been taking place there. This edifice was originally built about 537 um, A.D. A.D. And uh, it burned down, they built it again, burned down, they built it again. So what you're seeing here, I believe, is the third rendition of the Hagia Sophia. Guess what it was when it was originally built? Was it a mosque? You're absolutely right. The answer is no. It was a Greek Orthodox church. <laughs> However, where is it located? Istanbul, which, and what is the dominant religion in Istanbul? It's the Islam. Muslim Islamic people. All right, well, let's take a look inside the Hagia Sophia very quickly. Now, again, massive, beautiful, ornate building. Uh, it, it's just gorgeous. If you look up on the walls, do you see those big round uh, emblems, if you will? Does that, does that look Christian to you? No. no, absolutely not. So what's taken place over the years, and we'll, we'll actually give you the, the history very quickly in a minute, but what's taken place in this original Byzantine Christian, uh, Christian with probably a small c area, is they built this beautiful edifice as a Christian organization or, or church, worship center. Well, now because it's in the particular location that it is, the Islamic uh, people, specifically the government itself, said, uh, no, I don't think so. I think we're going to revert this back to a mosque. And that's happened a couple of times. The Ottoman Empire turned it into a mosque. The Crusaders came back. They turned it back into a, uh, if you will, a Christian edifice. And then after that, uh, again, the Muslims came in. So, I mean, just look at the size of it. It's, it's gorgeous. We don't wow. build things like that today. It costs 
a billion dollars to put a billion or uh, an edifice like that up. All right, Josh, I'm finally going to be quiet and let you do so. Okay. Go for Thanks. it. Thanks. All right. During the Pioneers of Jerusalem conference hosted by Turkey in December 2017, Mahar Salah, Hamas's former leader abroad, directly addressed Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, quote, the fate of your country is to disappear from the world. The fate of your kingdom is to be annihilated. I promise him, meaning Netanyahu, that his country will not celebrate the 100th anniversary. Pause. All right. Why do we constantly go to the Middle East? Why are we constantly looking at, if you will, the Islamic countries? Now, first of all, every time I talk about our, uh, the Muslim folks, I usually refer to them as our Muslim friends. And you say, well, why would you say that? Well, listen, folks, here's, here's the, the key thing about Christianity is this. They will know us by our love. Yeah. So whether they're Muslim, whether they are uh, spiritists, whether they are Shintoists, no matter what particular religion anyone has, should that affect the way that we look at them as a human being? No. Absolutely not. Uh, the Muslim folks need Christ just as much as the Jewish folks, just as much as the Gentile folks, just as much as the Koreans and the Chinese and the Africans. Every single person. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. sinners. For God so loved the world. world. So when we look at it from a Christian standpoint, not necessarily a political standpoint, uh, and so forth. But when we look at this from a Christian standpoint, every single person is a soul for whom Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Now, they don't quite have that same temperament uh, <laughs> in uh, uh, the Islamic world. And you look at this, and all the muftis, which are the chief rulers in Islam, basically have reiterated the same comment. If you are uh, familiar with the Quran at all, or maybe you've had a little study in it, or, or you've listened to some broadcast by uh, some of the Christian uh, uh, Muslims that were converted to Christianity, Sharam Hadian, uh, Sama Dakta, some others, they will tell you in, unequivocally that uh, uh, their religion teaches to basically kill the big Satan, the little Satan, meaning the America and uh, the Jewish people. But just because someone hates you, does that mean you should hate them back? No. Uh, no. Right? And that's, that's God's uh, work that he can only do in hearts. All right, go ahead. A few days later, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan used I, Hamas. I, I got to teach you this one. Okay, teach so me. It's Tayyip Erdogan. Say it again. Just like it looks. Tayyip. Tayyip Erdogan. Erdogan. There you go. <laughs> Tayyip Erdogan used Hamas terminology from the organization's charter when he invoked the trees and stones hadith. Okay, now the hadith again, where does that come from? There are hadiths in, uh, basically there's commentaries and then there's the, uh, on the Quran, which is part of this hadith concept. All right, so we're just, we're talking about Islamic literature. Go ahead. Say it again. Erdogan. Erdogan. Just like, just like it looks. Yeah. <laughs> Erdogan warned those who think they own Jerusalem better know that tomorrow they will not even be able to hide behind trees. This hadith quoted in Article 7 of the 1988 Hamas Charter calls for Israel's destruction. It deals with the Muslims' ultimate war against the Jews. Then the stones and the trees will say, O Muslim, O servant of God, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. Er, but Erdogan did not just settle for words in Hamas terminology. The year 2022 marks the 10th anniversary of the official establishment of the Hamas terror organization's offices in Istanbul. And despite the official Turkish claims, not only Hamas's political activity is involved. According to the Shabak, Isra Israeli security agency, over the years, the Istanbul headquarters Branches and operatives have directed hundreds of terror attacks and attempted attacks in Israel and the West Bank in particular. For many years, Turkey has relied on the distinction between Hamas's political wing and its military wing. However, this rationalization does not meet the test of reality. All right, so let's just real quickly park on this particular issue. 
when we're looking at the Middle East, when we're looking at the uh, Muslim Islamic 30,000 foot picture, is there an interconnectivity between that or the Islamic people? I mean, obviously there is, right? I mean, we, we would expect that. What's interesting, though, is the development of looking now, we, we've been focused a lot on looking at the Gaza Strip in Israel. Now you start to look at, well, where did this terror organization, where's the main focus of it? Where did it come from? Where's its headquarters? And now we shoot over to Turkey and find out that, well, wait a second, what's happening? By the way, in all the different surrounding nations that are all around Israel, is there a common denominator? And the common, de- common denominator is? It's Islam. Islam. Again, I mean, no, uh, from a Christian standpoint, I need, mean no disrespect to uh, the Muslim people. But, folks, they got Israel surrounded. That's Ezekiel 38 and 39. When did the Muslim religion start? Say what? Well, when actually did the literal Muslim religion start? Now, that's, that's part of the descendants, yes. When did the actual religion start? When did Muhammad come on the scene and actually get it rolling? 600 AD. Yeah, late 600 A.D. You mean, you mean to say, Pastor, that when, when we studied Ezekiel 38 back before 600 A.D., no one would have had a clue what they were looking at. It's like, well, how's this going to happen? I mean, I mean, it would have been an exegetical nightmare for uh, people trying to understand the Bible and, and looking at these things from 500 B.C. up until almost uh, probably closer to 700 A.D. They had no clue what they were looking at. Now, folks, we are living in a time when we understand it. We're seeing it. It's just, it's just amazing what we have now. All right, I'm getting cranked up. You are. Moving on. It's good. All right. See next one. Turkey. Turkey contributes to the military strengthening of Hamas. The findings of the investigation underscore the fact that Hamas's ramified economic and military activity in Turkey takes place unhindered as Turkish officials turn a blind eye and on occasion encourage it and with the assistance of Turkish nationals, some of whom are close to the government. Israel hoped that Turkey would honor the promise offered in the two countries' reconciliation deal signed in the aftermath of the May 2010 Marmara Flotilla affair. On June 7th, I'm sorry, on June 27th, 2016, Israel and Turkey announced that they had reached a reconciliation deal. In one of its clauses, Turkey undertook to prevent the use of its territory for terror operations against Israel. Can I ask how that's working out? Not well, apparently. Prime Minister Netanyahu said that this promise included putting an end to the funding of terror activity. Along with the official declarations, the Israeli media reported Turkey's undertaking. However, it was also announced that the Hamas offices would remain in Turkey, but they would engage solely in political activity. Of course... Uh, What what, what kind of political activity? I mean, we're being, I'm being facetious, and you know I am a little sarcastic, but it's like, folks, you don't shut down these cells. You don't. You don't shut down their leadership. When you go back a few slides earlier, what is their central focus when it comes to Israel? It, by their own, if you will, inspired literature, which, of course, we don't believe it's inspired, but from their standpoint, God made it very clear, their God, if you will, made it very clear that they're to wipe them out. It's, 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 it's non-negotiable, and it's very, very serious. Okay, let's move on. Which one are we on here? The ideal, I think we're one more. This one? There we go. In the spring of 2017, then-Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Yelan in a speech at Tel Aviv University, described how President Erdogan of Turkey uh, viewed the role of Hamas. Erdogan is the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in the Middle East. He calls it the new Ottoman Empire. Okay, now we're getting to the punchline here. Erdogan. Erdogan, thank you. (laughs) Erdogan. He's talking, they're showing. Now, Erdogan is, I mean, he's the big boss, if you will, in in the Turkish area. He's going for superpower. He's the leader of what group? 
the Muslim Brotherhood in the Middle East. He calls it the new Ottoman Empire. I talked about the Ottoman Empire a few minutes ago. This is dominance, folks, and that is what they're being taught, and that's what they believe in. That's non-negotiable. All right, we only got five minutes. We've got to zip through this here. Since the beginning of Erdogan's rule, he has sought to become a sultan. He promotes his Islam by supporting the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas and not Fatah. He tries to achieve hegemony even in Europe through illegal immigration. Indeed, in his own eyes, Erdogan is the successor of Saladin and Suleiman the Magnificent, and the Turks are the grandchildren of those two. From time to time, Erdogan invokes the dream of renewing the caliphate, and for him, Turkey defines itself as the representative of Muslim civilization. All right, we're going to cut it at this point because the punchline is there. So we're looking at Recep Erdogan, who now is looking at himself. Now, folks, by the way, do you know who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, the last one to do it? Who was that person? It was Suleiman the Magnificent, hundreds and hundreds of years ago when that took place. This individual, Erdogan, sees himself basically as a reincarnate Suleiman the Magnificent, who was magnificent. Tremendous uh, 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 um, conquering took place under his rule. So I'm going to skip ahead here, and I want to take us to Joel chapter 3. Now, one quick question was this that we just got. Why is there so many different Muslim names or terrorist names? Well, there's many, many. There's literally hundreds of different Muslim terrorist groups that have risen up around the world. So they're all from different parts of the world, which obviously we can't go through right now. But every single territory... Uh, they get a group of guys together, bam, all of a sudden they've got a terrorist group. We also have two major factions in Islam, uh, 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 the Shiites and the Sunnis. This all gets very technical if you're not familiar with it, but, it, but it's massive. It's a huge, huge millions of individuals that uh, go under the Muslim name. All right, so let's close this out in the last minute. Let's go to Joel chapter 3. I'm going to pop this ahead here. Oops, I think I went too far. I got too excited. All right. We'll talk about archaeology next week. Sorry. Come on. Are you going forward or back? Oh, I'm going forward. That's why. There we go. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, Joel 3 real quick, and then we'll do a one-minute summary, and we're done. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. All right, so why do we just put this up here, folks? Let's make it crystal clear that any nation, any group of people that decides to do damage to Israel, this is the result of what's going to be coming. Now, Joel chapter 3 of the entire book of Joel talks about the day of the Lord, the judgments that will come against all peoples, all nations, all groups that determine uh, to have given or currently given or will give during the seven-year tribulation uh, time a hassle to Israel. What is the Abrahamic covenant? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Folks, that's an irrevocable truth that God gave to the people of Israel, along with the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, and the land covenant. God does look, as uh, Valerie said a little bit ago, my wife, that uh, Israel is the apple of God's eye from Zechariah chapter 2. He is aggressively jealous. He is aggressively possessive of his people. So when we look at the Muslim nations, and again, should we pray for these folks? Absolutely. Can, can Muslim people still come to Christ? Yes, we have a missionary. We have several of them that work in uh, Muslim territories, and they do see Muslim people make decisions for Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. But when the rapture comes, when we're gone, and all of a sudden the seven-year tribulation kicks in, folks, it's, it's going to be a disaster. And God is saying right here in Joel chapter 3, when he returns, 
for the, for the second time, not the rapture, but the second time, folks, all these nations that refuse, that refuse to come to Christ will be judged. It's going to be a bloodbath. Zechariah chapter 14, first four verses make it very clear that when Jesus Christ comes back, he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives. He will then go out to the battlefield of Armageddon about, oh, 50, 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It tells us there that all the nations, all the nations will be gathered together to fight against Israel. And here comes Jesus Christ out of heaven with a sword in his mouth and wipes them out in a heartbeat. Folks, it's a sad, sad scenario of what will happen to all people that determine to reject Christ. Well, folks, I trust you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the only hope of salvation. There is none other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Would you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, thank you so much for the time we've been able to spend looking at these different events and things going on around the world today. Please, Lord, help us to uh, continue to seek your face, to, to humble ourselves, to turn from our sin, to pray, Lord, to seek after you. Please give us the grace to do that, and please watch over us and help us, Lord, uh, to be your ambassadors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Have a good drive home, and stay warm. You'll get it.